A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky So, Lord, we come before you. Thankful for worship this morning, God. It's, it's amazing how often you align the spirits of your saints. And, God, just being able to worship the, the things that we would consider this morning, not worship those things, but we'd be able to worship and consider in worship. And then we would be able to consider now in your word, Father, what it is to be wholly surrendered and restored by you. So, God, I ask that you would continue to speak to us, Lord. Lend us your Holy Spirit. He asks this in your name. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hands and we will get one to you, as we always encourage you to have your actual paperback Bible with you if you can, uh, just in case the internet or power goes out. We don't have to stop going through the Word. And today we are moving into... Another miracle of Jesus. And as we're working through the timeline through the book of Matthew, as we have been moseying our way through this book, um, we're in a section where we begin to see, or where we have been seeing for a little bit, tensions tend to mount against Jesus in his ministry. But we also begin to see great expressions of faith. We begin to see great miracles happen. And today we're going to see Um, Just a wonderful example of faith that should cause us all to consider how we would pursue Christ and how we would pray as well. And so last week, we talked about a conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees through Matthew uh, 15, sorry, did we go through that one? Yeah, 15, 1 through 20. And the Pharisees were trying to apply religion in an unhealthy way to the people of Israel and to the disciples, but Jesus would ask them to consider, and he would ask us to consider as we read his word, what it is that truly defiles a person. And then now, after that conversation, we see Jesus move to a different region so that he can perform ministry for one particular individual. But before we get in, if you're in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, would you say amen? It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. 
And that's all that we're going to cover today. So here, as we look at this particular text, I would say that there is probably a dozen different ways to dissect this. I would say that there's a few different ways to dissect this particular text that actually leads to some of the denominationalism that we have in the world of ministry today, especially when it might come to um, issues of Calvinism and Arminianism. There are some who would take this and run a particular way with it, and we see that some of the roots of those would come by the name of Hebrew Israelites. There are so many strange ways to look at this, to parse out the people of God, that we should, one, hesitate and remember What is the word of God for? The word of God is to see God himself, to see Jesus as God and our savior, and to ensure that he is glorified and to be thankful for the fact that we have a God who is able to redeem the world. And so here, as we look at this particular section, again, I don't want us to get caught up in who Jesus is and isn't ministering to, because Jesus is going to have a harsh response, but it's going to be for a reason. It's going to minister to everyone involved. But here, what we should see is God's ability to redeem, as he has expressed in the book of John, the world. And so, he moves to a place, or this area, this region, Tyre and Sidon. Now, these are Gentile cities, and they're located about 50 miles away from where Jesus just was. And both of these cities should have been plainly occupied by the Israelites, but in the failure of obedience on the side of the Israelites, this isn't necessarily the case today. So Sidon, if you're looking at it today, is Saida. And this is an area that was given to the people of Israel by God, and they were commanded to take it as their own. And we can see the call in Genesis, and we can see their failure to subdue it in Genesis as well. You can see this most notably in Genesis chapter 10. Then you also have Tyre, which is also another one of these areas. And we don't see it mentioned much, but you can see it noted specifically in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And so it's important to note that because you would say, well, why in the world would Jesus say, I'm only supposed to minister to the house of Israel if he's not there? He is there, but he's dealing with a population that is not completely Israeli because they never conquered it the way that they were called to. And so Jesus is now in the throes of a heavily populated Gentile community. And so he's gone here, and he's gone and he's amongst a kind of people that is a little bit different than the Jewish population that he's been ministering to for some time. And I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. Jesus does everything with intention, with purpose, and as he is God, he does it with foresight. And so he would have been fully aware that these were Gentile cities, and he would have known that the ministry there wouldn't have been strictly for the Jewish person. Even if he were to minister to the Jews alone, as we would see this faithful woman say, that the Gentiles would have been blessed by the crumbs that would have fallen off the table. But here, 
Jesus coming to these cities because of their populations, as most of us here in this room are Gentiles, this was and is a revelation of hope for the lost Gentile soul. As God has always desired and he has always expressed that salvation was not for the Jew alone, He saved them, he chose them, he picked them, but he also commanded that they would be the city on a hill to express the availability of salvation to the rest of the world. And Jesus is about to walk that out himself as the Israelites have not fulfilled that calling either. Now, he's gone this 50 miles with the disciples. He's gone over to this place, and we're going to see that this is a short visit. He ministers only to this particular woman, and he leaves. And again, I think a comfort to the mind of the believer is this 50-mile walk was worth it to Jesus to minister to this one person. He'll minister only to her. And then we see him move on to another place where his ministry was absolutely deemed necessary by him. And while this isn't the sermon, a a note maybe to take is that if Jesus loves you and he does, you are not too far to be ministered to by Christ. So with that, as we look at verse 22 again, let's read it, or I'll read it aloud. It says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And so here in this Gentile area, we immediately have this woman identified as a Canaanite. And as she comes to Jesus, one thing we're going to note, and this is important for us, is a few things that she has done that would equate to this faith that Jesus would say she has is great. Right here is the beginning of the example of a great faith. And here we're going to look at, I believe, four total ways, but we see three things here. One is her coming to Jesus, a foreign hope to her people. She is a Canaanite woman. She is in amongst a Canaanite people who do not believe what the Jews believe, but here she is coming to Christ and she is coming to him passionately. It is safe to say that amongst the Canaanite people that this probably wouldn't have been necessarily that was recommended. It would have been a foreign God to them. It would have been a foreign savior. It would have been a foreign prophet. He would have been a foreign fill in the blank This is not the direction she would have gotten from her people, but she has heard of what Jesus is able to do. And regardless of what her neighbors would say, she has come to Christ. But then, and the second thing we see is her acknowledgement of superiority or sovereignty. And friends, this is so important as we begin to understand how we would approach Christ, either coming to salvation or in salvation, because I think sometimes because we do serve such a loving God that we forget that we ought to approach him this way. She says, have mercy on me. When was the last time we asked God to express mercy to us? 
In the world that we live in, even outside of salvation, we think that salvation is due to us because we think too often, and it is completely wrong, that salvation is due us because we are worthy of it. But on the contrary, Scripture lets us know that we don't deserve salvation. Our faith, our, our good day is like a, a, a filthy rag. I'm totally messing that Scripture up right now. Please forgive me. I'm having a, a, a brain space, and it's still going. Bear with me. But here, we don't deserve it. But when we cry out to God, we're crying out to God like he owes us something that he does not. And then even in salvation, what happens is we were once in a place where we were thankful, where we were on bended knee spiritually, and we are giving our all to the Lord. What happens over time is we begin to pray and we think that because we're praying, because we're told to pray, that because I'm being some kind of obedient, then God must answer my prayer. The idea is long gone that we are still petitioning to a God who should express us, not should, but we're hoping that he would express us some kind of mercy to be willing to answer our prayer at all. The gift of salvation is more than sufficient. And so everything above that and beyond that is still an expression of mercy out of the abundant heart of a father's great love. But I don't know how often we petition our prayers or petition ourselves at all in a place of needing mercy. But she cries for it. She realizes that she doesn't deserve it. It's not owed her. She's speaking to a prophet. She's speaking to her savior. She's speaking to a healer. And she's just in desperate need of whatever it is that he would give to her. But then three, another great expression of her faith is her petition isn't even for her. This is an intercessory plea. One might say this is an intercessory prayer. We don't call it prayer because she's physically speaking to Jesus right now. But this is in fact what this is. Have mercy on me for the benefit of another. I want you guys to consider this. This is what the phrase, I'll pray for you, really should look like. How many of you have used the phrase, I'll pray for you? Raise your hands. All right, now I'm gonna hold all of you accountable right now. How many of you have said it and then totally forgot to do it later? Right there. This is... This is like the Christian common courtesy phrase. Like, oh, I hear about something bad. I'm like, I'm gonna, oh, I'll pray for you. I don't know what else to say, but I'll, I'll pray for you. And then we leave and we get busy. And then we see that person later and we might remember to ask, hey, how are you doing? But we're never gonna admit that I didn't pray for you once between last Sunday and this Sunday. But here, this is what I'll pray for you if we were genuine in our communication should really look like. Now, some of you might even ask, maybe you haven't said it, but you hesitate to say, I'll pray for you because I don't even know what I'll pray for you means. Like, I, I don't know how to petition to the Lord on your behalf. Um, I hardly know how to pray for myself. But here we see this Canaanite woman expressing something that is so wonderful, yet so foreign to us as we are walking with Jesus in this journey of faith ourselves. 
But what she's expressing is a believing and purposeful intercession for her daughter. Now, what is an intercessor? That is a person who intervenes on behalf of another, especially by prayer. Now, I'll say this. To pray is one thing, but to pray and believe is a very different thing. A true intercessor must do so by hope and by faith. Now, why do, why do we say it like that? We, we, we're doing some discipleship with our deacons, and we actually had a, a really great conversation this week about this because we're doing a Bible study on um, lament. And we're walking through Psalms and Lamentations together, and we're, we're talking about the issue of prayer when somebody is in a deep, dark, or devastated place, but this, this truth would ring the same, is that a lot of us hesitate to pray because we're called to pray full of faith. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever heard that and thought, one, I already don't know how to pray, but I certainly don't know what it is to pray full of faith. I, I see that, and I might actually think, well, it'd be impossible for me to pray full of faith because when I, know, when I know that when I pray, faith is certainly lacking. Well, I would say that that is when God gives us the blessing of hope as well. Faith comes from, when we're talking about prayer, comes from knowing that God is able to do something, right? Now, there are many of us, especially those of us who are new in the faith, what do we know of God other than the fact that he can save our soul? We know very little, but what a wonderful place to be in because God's about to show you his outstretched arm and wonder in an amazing way. But what we can do is we can pray full of hope and anticipation that God would show us how faithful he is. And as you pray in that hope and as you see God begin to answer your prayers, maybe not the way you anticipated, but as you do see him begin to answer your prayers, he's growing this little bit of faith that you do have into a greater faith. And so what I would say is if you lack prayer because you lack faith, start with a little bit of hope and let God cultivate the faith that you need. Because a lot of times we think that we have to be the cultivators of our faith, but I would say scripture says that you cannot be. Because what faith is in its most fundamental form is a complete and total reliance and knowing of what God can do and is able to do. And many of us are in a place where I still need to learn that. And that's okay. I remember years ago when we were planting another church, we invited a a couple on to our worship team that was certainly more charismatic and Pentecostal, but we purposefully invited them on so that we would be challenged in our faith to pray for extraordinary things. They weren't saying anything that was heretical. They weren't saying anything that was um, unbiblical, but they were certainly praying for things that were outside of the realm of logic. But brothers and sisters, can I say when we look at Scripture, God never says, says that you need to pray according to your logic. You need to pray full of faith, knowing that God is able. As we look through scripture, we see God do quite a bit of illogical things, things that we would never consider were possible. If I'm getting ready to be taken out of Egypt and I'm an Israelite, I certainly don't believe or think I'm going to be led out by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud a pillar of cloud by day. 
That's illogical in every single sense, but that's what God does. If I'm them and I consider and I'm hungry, I'm groaning, I'm about to complain, even though God has just expressed such a wonderful miracle before me, not only in deliverance, but also day by day by this leading. When I cry out to God and say, I need something more substantial to eat, I certainly don't think it's going to appear in the morning by dew. But that's what God does. So when we come to pray, and you're in a place where you don't have faith yet, or you have very little, that of a mustard seed, pray full of hope so that God could cultivate that within you. Because I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this, but when you hear somebody pray who has a greater faith than yourself, and I'd say that that's a weird conversation to have, but track with me. Somebody who has a greater faith than yourself, you're like, man, they pray like they know something I don't. They don't know it because there's something that they cultivated within themselves. They're praying from a place of having watched God do wonderful things. And you're in a place where God has put you, God has put you in a place to get ready and watch. There's no IMAX experience like what you're about to experience. This is about to be a wonderful thing. But here is this absolutely clear call to pray. James 5, 13 through 16. If you have a, a, a marker, go ahead and save it because we're going to be in James in a little bit as well. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Brothers and sisters, this is a call and this is a mandate for the church. This is something that we absolutely must do. And it says that we have to do it in faith. And the encouragement I would give you, not as somebody who has the greatest faith in this room, there are a few men and women in this church who I admire because I believe that they still have a greater faith than I do. But I would say if there's any, in, any of you in here who would say, is my prayer worth my time? I would say, yes, it is. Is God really able to answer my prayers? I would say, yes, he is, absolutely. I would say the testimonies of the brothers and sisters who sit around you right now are the evidence of God's faithfulness. So be encouraged by who sit next, who's sitting next to you today. Maybe not the person directly next to you. Maybe you know them too well and they're not saved yet. But two people down. Three doors down. I don't know. It's a bad reference, but I had to. Her great faith is expressed in her believing that Jesus can heal her child of something that has already spiritually captured her home. This woman is coming full of faith to Jesus and what the world has probably, and I'm sure she's heard this, deemed as a done situation. This is the lot that your daughter is going to live forever. This is her life forever. This is what your home is going to look and feel and sound like forever. And <clears throat> there's not much scripture here, 
that would support the fact that she may know this, but the note of severity at least brings to the reality that she has invited somebody with some kind of experience into her home to try to rectify this situation and thus has been able to deem it as severe. This isn't a wondering if her daughter is possessed. This isn't a wondering if her daughter has a problem. She absolutely knows, and it is a horrendous situation. Whoever's been there, whatever the the Canaanite resolve would be, has been unsatisfactory, and it has brought her home no peace. But this Gentile is doing something specific here. She's placing her faith in Jesus to do well with her daughter. This is significant even considering the harsh rebuttal she must have been used to from the people of Israel. The people of Israel were a harsh people when it came to not being an Israelite, to not being Jewish. You were despised. You were considered a dog. We'll see Jesus use familiar language here in a moment. But regardless of what the expression she's used to is, she knows there's something different about Jesus himself. And again, she may have tried the other remedies familiar to her people, but she hasn't seen any of those results. But regardless of her past, this woman now stands before hers and her daughter's Savior. And a question I want us to consider here, as we have been called within this great commission to go out and make disciples, we fall short often because of this question. Do we know and believe that a person's past can be the most irrelevant factor of Jesus' saving grace? How many times have we refused to offer the gospel because we have perceived somebody is too far gone? How many of times have we withheld our prayers because we think this situation is irredeemable? How many times have we lacked the ability to express faith because our faith is more founded in what that person's done wrong rather than what Jesus can do anyways? your past, if you are in here and you don't know Christ and you don't know salvation and you don't know what it is to be made whole, your past, should you lay it down at the feet of Jesus, is wholly irrelevant because he's going to make you new. And brothers and sisters, when it comes to our call, our mandate, our command to express the gospel and evangelism in every way, remember that. Some of you may be thinking, well, pastor, what about the hardened heart noted in Scripture? And I would say, stop trying to be the Holy Spirit. That's a spiritual reality that no man can measure. There aren't any situations that can be determined by men that a man can't be saved the Lord is the only one who knows if a man has, man's heart has been hardened to the point of being irredeemable. We don't know that. We haven't been called to evaluate the hardness of a heart. We have been called to preach the gospel. And to that, consider the woman's daughter. 
No doubt, again, the life of her child was considered a lost cause by those who know her. Even more so by the Jewish mind that knows her to be additionally cursed because she is not Jewish. But she's aware of something many of the surrounding parties aren't, is Jesus can save her daughter. Now, verse 23 through 26 It says, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I'm gonna keep reading. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, this is where we ought to pay attention, especially here. And something we should note in this particular couple verses is this was not a strange response to anybody that was present. She was expecting to hear something like this. And the disciples were so used to hearing this kind of expression that they didn't bat an eye. We read this because we're aware of the loving grace that Jesus truly expresses. We read about the mercy from the hands of God often. We're like, what in the world is this? But this is a social reality that these were living in. But Jesus is about to show her something different. This is a test of her faith, absolutely. Now, before we get into this, we should note James 1, 2 through 4 as we consider like, well, why in the world would Jesus test her faith? Well, if you have to ask that question, you need to be reminded Jesus is going to test yours as well. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This woman was about to be just that. And this is her fourth great expression of faith. She hasn't stopped petitioning at the silence of Jesus, which leads us to another Profound question. Are we prepared or even okay that the Lord would test our faith in this way? Because good Lord, like the people of Israel, Christians can be an impatient group of people, can we not? We expect the Lord to answer our prayer as quickly as we pray it. We expect that by the time we finish reading our text for the day that Jesus has already begun resolving the situation that we need him to resolve without considering the Lord's time or the Lord's will. How many of us have abandoned our faith in the lack of response or the lack of a desired response we want from our prayers? We hear the sentiment all the time, I pray and it seems like the Lord doesn't answer me, so I stopped praying. I had a need, I thought I expressed that need and Jesus didn't fulfill that need. I pray and I hear nothing back. We can go into all the different ways this has been expressed by the children of God. But here, Jesus didn't answer her a word and she falls on her knees in his presence still. What a challenge to be met with silence and what a response 
to fall further into submission. I don't know how many of us in earnest would say if I was met with silence to say that I would press into Christ more. That's not our common response. When we're met with silence, our typical response is to say, okay, I'm gonna move on to the next thing. Okay, well, I'm gonna find somebody else to pray to. Well, fine, then I'm gonna figure out how to fix this myself. Not often when we're met with silence do we fall onto our knees and petition more. Especially, and remember, we're, we're talking selfishly here, but this woman is interceding for her daughter. How many times when we have been asked or we have told somebody that we would pray for them when we meet with silence, do we pray more? Do we pray even harder for that person's physical wellness, for their spiritual deliverance, for fill in the blank? We're such an impatient people when it comes to our time in prayer. We're such a demanding people because we assume we're owed something we're not. Again, consider, brothers and sisters, you are asking for mercy. And here she finds on her, herself on her knees begging for mercy for her and her daughter. We need to make sure our prayers aren't coming from a place of backwards indebtedness the sound of a creation demanding that their creator owes them something that he doesn't. Again, have we considered that our still prayers, that our prayers are still, that they're wrapped up completely in the reality that we're working from a place of needing mercy. So this is where this woman is and she's expressing such an amazing form of submission such an amazing form of need but the disciples are learning a lesson here as well this would have been a test for them the only thing and look at the text again they're complaining to Jesus not because he's ignoring her they're complaining to Jesus not because of the surprise or harsh response they're used to that they're not complaining because he's lacking compassion. They're annoyed that she's still there. Note that. If you're, if, I'm not gonna say if you're a minister, if you're a believer and you're annoyed by the desperate need of those who are in need, well, we're in a rough place. It's, it's easy to get there, especially with somebody who's really in need and they keep coming back and they keep coming back. They're coming to you because they believe that you have some kind of faith. Again, it's a weird conversation to have because the Lord determines whose faith is what, but still, they're coming to you because they believe that your prayer, your counsel, your guidance is gonna lead them, hopefully, to the word. And so here, the disciples are aggravated that she is petitioning after Christ and not relenting. These disciples are blissfully unaware that they desperately need to see Jesus express mercy to someone that they are willing to ignore. And you know, what a caution to the church because we may need to see Jesus express some kind of mercy to a group of people we are wholeheartedly willing to ignore. And you know, I don't know who that person is, 
If you close your eyes and just imagine for a second, I'm sure that there is some kind of person, maybe a specific person that you know that you are completely willing to ignore. But if we consider the spiritual reality of what that means is you have determined that hellfire for eternity is where that person ought to be. That is not the heart of Christ. If we can be settled with the ignoring of any person who has been made in the image of Christ, if we would be settled that any of them would seek judgment, if we'd be okay with the fact that they would be separate from us in glory, well, the word would say we might not know Christ as much as we think we do. Here, this is a woman who culturally is ignored, has been said as an outsider. This is one who those who were righteous would determine is unsavable and not worth their time. They need to see Jesus do something wonderful and that's exactly what's about to happen. And in verse 27, what does she say? She said, yes, Lord. Not distracted at all by what's happened, but still moving full of hope and faith. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. A right mind to acknowledge her place. Consider needing Jesus so much that you know that you don't deserve a place at the table at all. I would say that we don't consider that enough. A lot of times we consider like the disciples, not should I be at the table, but how far up towards the head of the table should we sit? Lord, I've done all these things for you. Shouldn't I at least be close to the head of the table? Not like this woman do we consider. It's like, man, I would be thankful just for what falls off of it. But this is where she is. And it's a point of worthiness that she's acknowledging. Lord, we are not worthy of any of the gifts that you give us. But Father, you are worthy. And you are able to do what it is that we ask. We're singing that song a moment ago, acknowledging the Lord's worthiness. But do we understand that we can't not just acknowledge the Lord's worthiness, but our unworthiness as well. We sing and worship and praise for a reason. We raise hands high for a reason because we're here congregating, worshiping, giving God thanks for something that we are unworthy to receive. And the expression that comes from being given a gift that isn't deserved can't be shut up. And here she is. She can't be shut up. She's fallen at the feet of Jesus, even though everybody else has told her not to. Even though Jesus would test her faith and meet her with silence, she says, any bit would do. And I'll say it's five points. This fifth and final great faith is unyielding faith. 
she would not let go of the truth that Jesus could do well with her and her daughter. Friends, do you know that Jesus will do well with you should you continue to abide at the feet of Jesus? Do you have unyielding faith that even when you meet silence, you would press in harder? Do you have unyielding faith that when the world around you tells you that Jesus is not worth your time and he is not able to do well, to have the confidence to pray even more? Do you have the unyielding faith that even when we don't see Jesus perform a miracle every time, that when it says to gather and to ask the elders to pray over you, that you would come forward full of faith that if it is the Lord's will, he will do what it is that you ask. This issue of faith is a huge issue. And it keeps us from prayer. And when we're kept from prayer, we're kept from seeing miracles, which means we're kept from seeing the glory of God in glimpses even today. I don't want to see a man do miracles. I want to see God do miracles. I want to see God do something that's outside of what my mind can even conceive because he is able And again, a lot of times we have weird pictures of what that is. We we expect magic tricks and this weird imagery. But consider again the situation that's happening here. We've ignored the faith that's been established by the woman. We're focusing still on the, the daughter who's been made well. Both are a miracle. This woman's home has been spiritually captured by the enemy And in an instant, it has been relieved and been filled with the peace of God. There is no greater miracle than this. This is salvation. This is heaven. This is our hope. This is why as we begin to move into communion in just a moment, that we would be full of faith and full of joy and able to proclaim the Lord's return in excitement because we know that God is able to do well with those that he loves and he is able to do well with those who would fall at the feet of Jesus and again we can look at this and parse out all kinds of weird things how is it that Jesus saves here who is it that Jesus really perceives as more worthy of saving we can focus on the weird little sentences that are said in here and parse out and totally miss the big picture is the fact that all of that is secondary to the fact that Jesus saves regardless. The disciples needed to be taught a lesson as Jews and the Canaanite woman needed to be relieved as a Gentile and Jesus does both. And so if our faith is founded on the race or nationality of an individual, you've missed the point. Jesus as he created the world in Genesis, made man and woman in his image, and he said, it is good. As history would continue to unfold, he would choose the people of Israel to be this lamp to remind the Gentile world that there is a God who loves them. As history would continue to move on, as they would fail that calling, Jesus himself would come down, not consider it robbery, so that the world would be positive that he loves them. Jesus has never forgotten his promises. 
Jesus has never abandoned his love. Jesus has never abandoned his ability to redeem those that he created in the first place. And that's what this is about today. Have we considered, again, are we praying from a place of knowing that we need mercy? Are we making sure that we're not relinquishing the gospel message from those who we've deemed are unworthy or unable to be saved because they are able to be saved? But here, could we be so satisfied with the scraps that we would pursue Christ like this? Because guys, if, if the scraps are what was capable of doing this in this woman's home, I'd say the scraps are enough. But we find in the word that Jesus is willing to give much more than the scraps. Exceedingly and abundantly. So brothers and sisters, if you're praying from a place that you think God owes you something, settle down. He doesn't. If you think that you're deserving of exceedingly and abundantly, sit down. Remember that we are in desperate need of the mercy of God and remember that even the scraps, the scraps of heaven can do abundantly more than we could ever think and be thankful. Pray for more, but be thankful just for that. Amen?